Today, we're going to start the session with a conversation with Roberto Milk, CEO and co-founder of Novica. Roberto was on the Entrepreneur Journey series recently, and I had a wonderful conversation and really found his journey extremely inspiring. So I invited Roberto to participate in this roundtable to build on that discussion. Roberto, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. So Roberto, let's get you introduced to our audience. Tell us a bit about yourself as well as what you're doing with Novica. Well, uh, you know, Novica is a platform for artists around the world. And my grandmother on my Peruvian side was one of our very first artisans. And the whole system was born from this need to find a better way for artisans to reach the world market. And it's a need that I saw uh, with my family traveling when I was a kid. My brother and I would, would uh, explore markets as we went to countries, uh, especially uh, my parents. We were growing up in the States. My parents were living in San Antonio, Texas. And my mom, being Peruvian, uh, she, she, every summer came around. They were both teachers. She said, I got to get back to, uh, to Peru and, and, and see my people. <laughs> so we would go to Peru and we would go other, other places. And, and these, these early childhood discoveries um, in so many ways uh, influenced the company that, that uh, we're running now. You know, uh, we are, my husband and I are avid travelers, and, and one of the things we really love is markets and artisans. So we, when we are traveling, we always seek out, you know, where we can look at works by artisans and where are the markets and so on. So when you shared your story with me recently, I found it so inspiring and, and also so fun. And I've always wondered how these people uh, would go to market and, and find their audience and so forth. And one of the stories that I remember very well is we were in a small town in India called Shantiniketan, which is a, a very um, artistic place. It was, I don't know if you are familiar with this place. It's, um, it's where Rabindranath Tagore had his university, and um, mm. there are tons of artists and artisans there. And uh, we were invited to a home, and there were all these women who who are trying to make a living with embroidery. And the embroidery is beautiful, but it's mm -hmm. very overworked. So they're putting in so much work on one piece. And we were mm. looking at that and we were saying, you know, you can do one-tenth of the work and you'll find a bigger market just because people don't want that complicated <laughs> stuff. They just want simpler things. <laughs> and, of course, you know, they're so far removed from the market that it's it's very difficult for them to... Um, grasp these nuances of minimalism and the trends right. of the modern market. So yeah, anyway, so funny. you sound like one of our product sourcing people right now. Hearing you speak, <laughs> you could, you, could uh, you know, we, uh, your input would be very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also ran a fashion company. It's one of the first. Oh things no wonder. No so wonder. A lot of experience with. <laughs> so uh, tell us a bit about the artisans. Let's start the discussion with artisans. And, and what I would like to focus on, as you know, our mission is one million by one million. So in a mm -hmm. marketplace like yours, obviously, you have had tremendous impact on the lives of very small entrepreneurs. 
So tell us about a few of those that have been particularly successful, who they are, where are they from, and what is special about the ones that are really, you know, making a big uh, success on your platform? Okay, great. Yeah. You know, just listening to your, your story about the market in India really reminds me of, of um, really kind of how, how blessed we are in a way that, that um, one of my childhood passions, which was to go to the markets, right? Like yeah. this has become one where rather than when we were kids, we were looking for just a cool product. You know, we're just like, oh, we need something cool for our room, something unique, you know, that none of our friends have. But um, then as an adult, um, when I travel, we get to do that. Uh, my wife and I, my wife's a co-founder. Uh, my brother, who I spoke about, he's a co-founder. Like, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a whole group of friends and family that have all uh, have been running this for so many years. But our, our objective is to discover the artist, right? Yeah. And so you're going into a market, and the, and the end objective is how do I find which, art, which, which artist am I going to find today? And when we find them, we, we always, it's, it's life-changing for the artist. And that's so much fun. And, I, you know, one of the artists that I'll mention is an artist that we actually found in the markets in, in Peru. But we never easily find them because the markets are always, it's always middlemen, right? So it's rarely, rarely you're going to find the artist himself in a market. So it's always, you know, like, like a, there's a, a few middlemen you got to get through. Um, but we were looking for um, these wood carvings called ekekos. They're good luck. Uh, carvings, um, and um, and we saw this incredible Akeko, and we we're like, we gotta find this artist, and um, and and that w it was in the corner of a shop in a market in Lima, and it took us out to the outskirts of Lima. You know, one thing led to another, and we had to buy a bunch of them from that middleman in order to figure out <laughs> for them to give us any information, and they only gave us a neighborhood, and then going to the neighborhood, and we're we're, we're knocking on doors and saying, Do you know who made this, and um, but that artist is Johnny Jimenez. And he's, he's one of our more successful wood carvers. And his mm. technique is just amazing. He does, and so the Akekos, is, we found him with these Akekos, which is kind of a niche, you know, like who would know about an Akeko, right? It's, it, you know, the reason we, even, we were even looking for it is because there was a, a chef in a restaurant in Peru, I mean, in, in LA, this Peruvian chef, his name's Ricardo Sarate, who's this up and coming, uh, you know, Michelin possible, you know, chef. And he's like, oh, my secret is this Akeko. And he's got these. So we were looking for Akekos for him. But what ended up working was the, the Peruvian Paso horses uh, that Johnny Jimenez makes. They're lifelike and amazing. And the price points are not, you would think you'd, you'd be paying like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of dollars for these sculptural works of art. And they're not. And, um, and so he sold, he sold a lot of them. And it's just, it's really, um, and when we, and I think that, when you have like with Johnny, um, when we found him, he was so touched when we were saying, hey, Johnny, you're going to have your own, you're going to be able to put your price. It's a market, it's our, we're a, pl a platform marketplace, right? So mm -hmm. we, you know, so, so the artists drive it. And so just like you were talking about in the, in the market in India where the, the ladies, if they put less embroidery, they might sell more and do less work, you know, like the, you know, so that happens naturally through the system because the artists for the first time in their lives are getting um, product rating reports. So yeah. if we were to tell them, if we were to tell them, hey, that's a, that's a, hypo a, a thesis that, that we would have. Oh, put, put less design and embroidery, maybe put it in the corners, you know, do, do, you know, and then we let the customers decide. So they might have, and they'll see ratings, 
and they'll say, okay, these are A rated, these are F rated. So let me do more of the A's. And, and they mm -hmm. get the feedback to, to be able to innovate. Yeah. So what, um, what kind of numbers does a successful artisan do on Novica? Well, it depends on, so some of the artists are individual artists, many, many of them, over half. They're, sure. you know, when we find Johnny Jimenez, it's Johnny Jimenez carving his pasta horses, right? <laughs> so it's an individual. And some of them, um, like Buana or Nero Guel, um, Buana is this amazing jewelry maker in, in Bali, and Nero Goel in India, um, she's one of our leading artists. Um, they have been able to, to build up business, basically small businesses, you know, so they've, they've, they've hired, they hired people, and they have grown, and yeah, they have workshops, or they have this cottage industry where there's home production, but it's kind of coming through them, and so, so they've been able to grow. So for the individual artists, um, you know, for them, a lot of times success is, you know, thirty, fifty thousand dollars a year. That's like that's really big, big, big time success. Big you know, like we're talking uh, yeah, about absolutely. a lot of artists, individual artists that are that are going from five hundred thousand dollars a month to to triple, quadruple, you know, ten times that sometimes. Um, and absolutely. then for some of the workshops. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that. I mean, those are very important numbers because the segment you're working with. Um, they almost make nothing, uh, and, and they are operating on very thin margins. So the kind of numbers you're talking about, especially in the geographies that you're talking about, those are very consequential numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then when you couple in the microcredit, we, we give them access to 0% interest microcredit and all the other elements, yeah. the capacity building. It's really a – it's great, you know, when – when I've had like Johnny Jimenez seeing him, and he wept when we when he came, you know. So it's like, okay, we're doing something right <laughs> if we're changing lives to the extent that people are so emotional about it, you know, that that they're and so grateful, you know, that that they're 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 moved to tears. Um, something's going on that's pretty special, yeah. And um, so, and so and talk a little bit about um, about the microfinance, the Kiva partnership, and so on, in, in the context of how you uh, facilitate the financing for these artists. Great, yeah. So in, in many of our um, countries, access to credit is a big issue. Um, and, um, and, and now more and more people are getting more access to, to, to credit, which is great. But in our sector, which is a big sector, like in a lot of our village economies, the, um, the number one um, um, industry is agriculture, and the number two industry yeah. is handicrafts. So we're, so handicrafts is a big um, driver in a lot of our village economies, right? But with handicrafts, very rarely, it's kind of like you're saying, the, um, it's very disparate, there's a um, lot of intermediaries, um, there's no access to the market or to the demand side to be able to innovate or, or you know, and, um, and, and then access to credit is usually um, non-existent. Um, and so with us, um, one of the coolest things um, in, our, in our system is that artists, when they, when they start up with us or when they grow with us, they get access to more and more credit collateralized by their own handicrafts. So never mm -hmm. has that, like an artist who, and we sometimes have stories like there's an artist who um, does tapestries um, in the highlands of Peru and uh, his name's um, uh, Faustino Maldonado, and he had an issue where he needed to access credit almost like a, as an emergency. And so he sent his, 
his extra tapestries down to our office in Lima and was immediately able to, to um, collateralize that and get 0% get interest financing out. So they're like, oh my God, my products are assets now that I can borrow money on. Um, and so, and that's all uh, thanks to Kiva and our customers. We have a, an artisan lending um, area of the website and also um, with this amazing partnership with Kiva, um, they, um, they, they, it's a pass through because the Kiva, the Kiva lenders are 0% interest lenders and we pass out all the way through to the artisans. So they're borrowing at 0%. Mm -hmm. And uh, do the people on Kiva who lend in this mode, are they also buying the products from these artisans? Absolutely. So there's a, there's a Kiva store that we run for them. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that store is, is, it's amazing. It's only borrow, Kiva borrowers. So it's Kiva mm -hmm. borrowers um, that, that then um, are looking to, to provide their products to the same people that have lent them money then they can buy directly from the products. And if you think about it, like me, me like as a, I, I, I love Kiva. I, I've, I've been involved with Kiva since the very beginning when, when they were first launching, I, I, was, I was a lender and I just, I love the concept. I love empowering people, like the whole P2P model, I just love it. And so, and, and so one of the things that I felt as a lender, I would lend and then I'm like, well, how can I help this person? Because as an entrepreneur, I know, Part of it is access to capital, but part of it is growing a business, right? We, we know yeah. that as entrepreneurs, right? And so um, yeah. access to capital is important, but it doesn't drive, you know, the, the fact that you got to run a, you got to build a business, right? And so I was always like, I, how can I help? I was lending to a, a storekeeper in Nicaragua and I'd feel like, how can I help them? You know, I'm lending money, but how can I then help them grow the business? What can I do to help them? And so with the, with the Kiva store, um, people can go in and, and they can lend money, but then they can then further help, they can buy gifts from these artists. And that's a real great partnership. And we're thankful for, for, for Kiva and for the Kiva lenders and that whole community. And, um, and then, and, and so, and, and there's thousands of artists on the Naviga platform and probably over half have borrowed from, through Kiva. Okay. And um, if you were to isolate the ones that you were giving examples of individual artists versus ones who have been able to scale a little bit um, to thirty, fifty thousand um, dollars. What percentage of the Novika artisans are actually building businesses on your platform? Maybe, maybe half. And and when, um, you know, because many artists, their very first hire ever was um, was through through their sales with us. So. I consider that building. I, I think once you start employing others, um, yeah. then you're no longer in it for yourself. You're, you're building a business, right? So you're you're right. you're, you're bringing uh, you bringing on others, um, and then uh, probably um, there's about a quarter that I would consider um, growing workshops. You know that they're they're okay. working and they're 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 now um, they have um, the the hopes and dreams to grow grow bigger and bigger. Um, and many of them have. And in absolute terms, what are the numbers? What, um, how many artisans are on the platform? And uh, so half of that is how many? Okay, so, well, there's, we have about um, 4,000 um, artisan groups, uh, which represent about 20,000 artisans. Um, mm -hmm. and so, but those 4,000 artisan groups, so about half of them um, would be um, individuals, straight individuals. You know, like that's yep. their painters, their carvers, their 
jewelry makers, and they make, a, make the items themselves by themselves, typically at home. And so, side note on that, during COVID times, um, they've been um, very um, grateful that they're able to produce at home and there's a no contact delivery at the office and, 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 um, and the sales have been strong for people buying online. And so the artists are very grateful about that. Um, yeah. And then there's, yeah. And then there's the other um, uh, artisans that are more, um, let's call them growing, growing small businesses, right? So they're, they're, they started as themselves and they've been able to hire people and they're growing and, and, um, and those are, that's another really interesting segment that, that um, requires a lot of capacity building. So they're, they're yeah. taking on credit for, for capacity building, for buying their, you know, buying mach a machine to help with certain things and, you know, that kind of stuff, hiring their first people, um, capital for, for raw materials to, to produce more. And I take it this is not an English-speaking audience at all, right? These are uh, vernacular audiences. So your staff on the ground is all vernacular uh, savvy stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. That very few of our, even in some of the English-speaking regions, like um, Ghana and India, and you know, so it's um, you know, most of our artists, most of our artisans in India, for example, they they speak um, the many many languages of India, right? So like oh, yeah. uh, so speak Hindi or Bengali yeah. or, but, but usually um, English might be second language, and and so and then um and in Ghana. Um, they might speak Ga or Tree or some or like one of the tribal dialects, and um, and then and then also English, um, possibly. Um, but but so yeah, it's mostly a mostly um, a non-English um, group. And um, how does the geographical distribution play out? So is it Latin America number one, and how how do you um, how do you break down the four thousand into mm -hmm. geography? You know, um, the artists like to to joke about this as as, as a <laughs> Navaka being the World Cup of arts and crafts. So just thinking about it in, in football, soccer terms. <laughs> um, but like each country, you know, has their own strengths and their own weaknesses, and and they are, uh, um, you know, whether it's textiles or carvings or or, or jewelry or you know right. games, you know, and so and and there are definitely. Um, Areas of the world with very rich artisan traditions, um, you know, Indonesia, Bali, especially. Bali is known as the island of artists <laughs> because so, there's so many artists per capita. In the island yeah. of Bali, it's a small island with a lot of artists. Um, India is extreme. Bali, the, the yeah. it is. It is amazing. Um, small countries like Guatemala in Central America, Guatemala is, is the hotbed. Of, um, of of uh, of artisans, um, they're extremely talented artisans, and when you speak with them, they yeah, it, it dates back to the Mayan times and the, these long-standing traditions. Uh, Peru okay. is also very rich in their in the artisan um, uh, sector, um, but um, but every country, you know, they all have, and so they they uh, the artisans band together and they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do do you know make Peru proud or make Mexico proud or or Thailand, you know, so so they, every everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses, but they 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 definitely um, they definitely compete like uh, in a friendly competition, kind of like the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so Roberto, you've uh, talked about the artisans and their businesses. Let's talk a little bit about your business. You've built a twenty million dollar annual revenue company in twenty years. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the highlights. 
of your journey and um, your impact has been vast. So share some metrics of, you know, how you quantify that impact. Sure, absolutely. Um, so the, um, so it's been a, um, I would say a very slow and steady build. And as, as an entrepreneur, especially as a social and entrepreneur, we want- This is something I want to make absolutely clear to the audience listening. <laughs> we are big believers in, you know, we, we don't subscribe to that. Everybody will have to go from zero to $100 million in five to seven years and build a venture funded company. This is not at all the philosophy of 1 million by 1 million. Oh, good, good. Then I think I'm talking to the right crowd. <laughs> but I, I can tell you our original business plan was to, to get to 100 million in 10 years, you know, and so we still have that aspiration and we'll, we'll do about 40 million this year. So, you know, so we're growing. Um, we hit the 20 million annual benchmark a few years ago. And then uh, last year we were mid 30 million range. And so we're, but it's, it's, it's slow and steady growth. And um, our sector is, is, uh, has always been a challenging sector, the artisan sector, because um, yeah. it's not the first thing people think about when they're going to purchase something online. So it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of um, business development involved with that. Um, but yeah, the philosophy has been just build it every year, build it, and every single year we've grown. And, um, and one thing that's been a driver is tracking the number, uh, the amount of money deposited to artists, the amount of money that artists receive, actually receive, right? And, um, and that number, we hit 100 million uh, this year um, to artists. And we're seeing that, it just felt like a, a, a blink ago that we were at 75 million to artists. And we celebrated that, and then this year we celebrated 100 million. And so it's like, the, um, you know, we really wanna build that to a billion. And I never would have imagined starting this 20 years ago with our whole group, with my brother, my mother-in-law, all my friends, and, and like we would have never imagined that that we would be doing it this long. But also, I don't think we would have imagined that it would have been this impactful. Like I never really, yeah. I never, and that's what keeps us going is that, you know, it's so impactful. And there's so many lives that have changed because when it's like, when it's one artisan whose life has changed in a village in Ghana, there are so many people around that artist that benefit from that. Not just the family, yeah. the whole community benefits. And so like the impact is really um, amazing. And now that we've partnered with UNICEF and all these other great organizations, um, it's, it, the Im impact is multiplied that way. But, um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's the steady, slow and steady and thinking about, you know, cash flow. And we've had years where we've made money, but mostly we've um, had to figure out ways to, um, to fund the deficit, which is always hard, you know? Yeah. We've got lenders and investors and, and um, we had to um, capitalize in a major way with investors to build this infrastructure. So there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting elements to it. And we do one day. I mean, we have our sights on a billion to artisans, and and we want to get to the hundred million a year mark. Um, very, we're accelerating right now. We want to get there rapidly. So um, talk a little bit about how you finance the company. You started with regular venture capital and. So talk a bit about how um, how much money you raised and how did you raise that money? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, with um, with kind of traditional venture capital, just because of the way their their funds are structured and and the way that they um, it's kind of the, the the Silicon Valley philosophy, which I respect highly respect, you know, mm -hmm. highly highly respect. Um, part of it is you just have to you have to fail fast. 
right? I mean, you really do. Like they they push to 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 get to you know get that MVP out and get to get to grow to scale and test it out and see if it works. And if it works, then you then you amplify that whole that whole mindset. I love it. And we do that on on micro on a micro basis every day with new projects, right? We take that philosophy and apply it to new projects like our subscription box and things like that. So, yeah. um, but but really the horizon for for traditional VCs it can't be like it can't be 20 years, right? Like like it can't like they can't the funds can't be structured that way. Seven to ten years, so you have to yeah. kind of scale within that time frame. Yeah, exactly. So we're very lucky that we've um, we've been able to um, bring on investors that are um, first of all patient, and they appreciate mm-hmm. that we're building a real business. Another thing that that um, helped in a way, just in terms of um, uh, dynamics, is that when a lot of our investors came in, um, our original investors, they came in during the dot-com boom and right after that of the 1999, 2000s, right? And so, um, so they um, most of their portfolios actually didn't survive. So in many ways, they were like, okay, well. Novic is a surviving portfolio company, and it went beyond our fund horizon. But we do see like a future liquidity event, you know, where where they can do where they can do well. So mm-hmm. we hope we hope that that all of our original um, um, investors get a 10x plus on their on their invested capital. So that's that's so the, I'll, I'll put that aside for now, and then talk about all of the the social impact investors. I think that. I think that those that those investors like it's really important when you're thinking about your your capital base to think about who's who's aligned and if you're a mission-based company, especially like us, it's great to find mission-aligned investors because then as you so, mission-based companies sometimes can be hard to scale, right? Um, yeah. Hopefully not. I mean, I love it when you find a, a mission-based company that scales fast. That's awesome. That that's that's the best. That's the best of all worlds. We're scaling, but we're just not scaling at the with the acceleration right. that, that we'd like to. Although we're getting some acceleration now as we're getting to scale, marketplaces are funny that way. You 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 grow and you grow and you grow, and then suddenly this magic starts happening in the marketplace, where where you start to get some some critical some critical mass, and it's just taken us a while to get there, but we're getting that. Um, but so the, getting aligned with the investors, and we've had amazing investors. Investors like the Grassroots Business Fund, they're an offshoot of the World Bank. National Geographic Ventures, awesome, yeah. awesome yeah. investor group. Um, we came in early, and not really an investor group. More, I mean, they were, uh, they were in a, a, a close part, business partner of ours um, that also invested and, and lent us money um, in the early in the early years, and that was phenomenal for growing the growing the company. Is that partnership with National Geographic? And what do you see as? Um the exit path for a company like yours, you're getting to 40, you will get to 40 million in revenue. Presumably you will get to 100 million in revenue over the next few years if you keep at it. Um, yeah. What kind of exit path are you seeing for this? Well, you know, in terms of, in terms of where, where we'd like to go, um, we think about it more as, we, we boil it down to one basic thing. How do we um, um, get more funds to artists, right? If that and yeah. I love that it, we're so lucky that as a company, some companies like they have a mission, but the mission is is um, is not part of the core business, right? For us, it's the core right. business. It is the business. How do we if we how do we best serve artists 
So whatever we can do to best serve our, like what things can we do to serve artists as our, as our clients, right? The artists, right? And so as, and we, when we best serve artists, we best serve customers. But what can we right. do to best serve artists? And in that, how can we um, increase like the value, the future value for artists? How does this become uh, like, how do we, how are we touching the hundreds of millions of artists around the world, you know, that are, that we're not, that we're not um, touching right now? How do, how do we get to them and how do we transform the entire industry? So that's one thing that we think about. And so we, we think, so how does, how does the company grow in that path? Um, and one of the things we're doing is, is there's a lot of partnerships. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of, a lot of kind of key partnerships, especially with nonprofits. So that's, we're doing a lot of that right now. And, and in terms of an exit, like I wouldn't say that there's a, there's a, it, it would be more like a future liquidity event. And that would be um, something that doesn't, um, the strategy is to build it as big as we can. And then the liquidity event will come. Right. No, I was talking more about the liquidity yeah. event for your investors. This, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to give you, as long as you take venture money, you have to mm-hmm. give an exit to those investors. So how, that's what I was questioning. I, I presume that you want to keep building the company itself and the business itself, yeah. but, uh, mm-hmm. but how do you give liquidity? I mean, I, I'm not sure if this, the public market is the right place for a venture like this. Yeah. It yeah. Well, it, it might be down the road. Um, and everybody's talking about SPACs these days, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, you know, ah. for, for us, um, for us, it's really building like, well, like that conversation. Luckily we have, um, a group of, of backers where primary goal is let's get to hundred million in sales and really grow it for artisans. And secondarily, then we'll find the, we'll find their, um, we'll find a great liquidity opportunity, um, for some of those investors. Is there a class of social impact investors who are willing to buy out your, uh, regular venture investors and, and stay in with you for a longer term? Yeah, there might be so that might be a possible future liquidity event where there's a, a private equity fund that's socially um, driven, right. um, that's mission that's aligned with us. Um, yeah, and they so they could so it could be a they could be um, that could be an opportunity, you know. That's something that's, that's becoming a bit of a trend that you may want to note in the industry, in that you know um, we because of our work we have been involved in early stage venture capital and early stage startups right 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 you know through our journey which has been more than 10 years now so mm-hmm. um, there is a it first it started kind of like as a side thing but now it's becoming a strategy for a lot of micro vc funds that come in early especially mm-hmm. in countries and and ecosystems where it takes longer to build companies they do maybe the first three years of the journey or first five years of the journey and then exit into a Series B or Series C funding once the company has started hitting a faster growth stride. So mm-hmm. you may have investors who have been in it for longer than they want to be in, but there are later stage ventures, later stage investors, private equity investors, or late stage venture capital investors who buy out these early investors angels or VCs, micro VCs, and that's, that's becoming a perfectly acceptable path of how to finance a company and, and how to run funds, actually. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think um, that's definitely that's definitely an opportunity. I think some of our our earlier stage investors they see the um, they see the big possibility here. They see the possible um, like disruption of the entire industry model, where currently there's so many middlemen. It's just taken us a while to get that network effect going, but um, right. you know, even even during COVID times right now, um, the sales have, have increased because people are, are traveling less. And I think with right. us, when they shop with us, it's just this virtual travel experience. So people are yeah. um, customers are really happy to 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 travel virtually <laughs> and explore yeah. the markets, the bazaars, and the markets of our site. And uh, and enter and just enjoy um, receiving a package because we ship from around the world, so they get the package with the postcard signed, and our offices take care of all the quality control and all that. And so they definitely, um, um, I think that's definitely a, a, um, a thing right now. And I, one of the most important things right now for us is that because the artists, um, the our artists, they 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 survive on on tourism and travel in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. And so right now there's very little travel, almost no tourism happening in the countries where right. we operate. Open markets, many of them are closed right now. So their secondary yep. markets or domestic markets are closed. It's really, really hard. And so we're getting artists that are, um, that are basically grateful that the sales, they actually, they can't believe it. They're like, it's some, we would have never imagined. We, we're we're um, so grateful that we have this opportunity they produce at their at their houses. They deliver no no contact in our office. The products are quarantined for 48 hours in the in the in the regional warehouses, um, and and so they're safely producing, and they're it's a lifeline. Where in some of our countries it's really um, dire, like in in Guatemala for example, there's a um, when someone has run out of food, they put a white flag outside their house. Um, so there's all these white flag homes that are popping up, and that means that. It's, it's basically a, 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 a plea for help from anyone. And so um, our artists, they're, they're telling us stories of how, um, because they have sales happening, and they're so grateful to the customers on Navica. They're buying from them, they're selling, and then they're like, if it wasn't for, for you guys, we wouldn't be able to put food on the table because we have no, you the only thing we've got. There, we have no other, there's no local sales happening at all for, for their goods. And so, and they're sending us messages saying how they're helping the block, like we're helping the village or we're helping our entire block, you know, because we have white flag homes. And so when we're buying basic, basic staples, like rice and beans and tortillas and stuff like that, we're, we're spreading that around the block to all the white flag homes. So it is really, you know, we're like a major impact territory right now with, with um, during COVID times that we never thought we'd be in. Um, Wonderful. I love, love, love your story. So I'm so glad that you were able to